13 Daggers Tattoo Studio is looking for a new tattoo artist. Must be established with a strong portfolio and good work ethic. Stop by today at 13 Daggers across from Patriot Park on Fort Campbell Boulevard. Clarksville's ultimate tattoo studio. Tattoos, touch-ups, and consultations. See the artist's work online at 13daggerstattoo.com and get the custom experience you want with Killer Ink. Book today and get pricked by a pro. 13 Daggers Tattoo Studio. Looking hard on the boulevard. Tobacco Road Sports Radio is so excited to be your home for Triad Sports. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! We heard you loud and clear. Our mission is to give you what you want. You know what I want. I've been asking for it for years. Give it to me! Give me what I want! The best sports talk in live sports in the Triad, period. What's up, everybody? Live Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Score once again with Brett Wiseman. Hello and welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Welcome back to Franchise Players, your home for Triad Sports coverage. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. And if you think that's great, wait until you see what's next. It's going to be good. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Tune in at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. And don't forget to download the new Roku channel, Tobacco Road Sports Radio. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host. Larry Frank, and what a great, great, great show we have for you tonight here on Frankly Speaking Sports. We're going to talk about the big, big weekend here in Charlotte, North Carolina that just happened with the Charlotte FC opening up their first home game uh, versus the LA Galaxy. We're going to also talk about um, a little bit about NASCAR and the big race yesterday at Las Vegas. And we will also preview the ACC tournament, which begins tomorrow afternoon at 2 p.m. in Brooklyn, New York. Then, about 25 minutes from now, what a remarkable story, folks. And what a remarkable interview we are going to have for you. We're going to have former NFL guard who played for the Chicago Blackhawks. Excuse me, Chicago Blackhawks. I'll be okay. Chicago Bears and the Seattle Seahawks. I played 10 years in the league um, and uh, has an unbelievable story to tell about his career in the NFL, some of the Hall of Famers he played with, and how he struggled and overcame substance abuse. So an incredible, incredible story coming up. We want to first thank everybody on all our different platforms. A reminder that we are now on Roku TV. That's right. Roku TV, folks. Go to um, Roku TV. Download Northeast Streaming Sports. We'll be on every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. And a reminder, we are also on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. That's right. Tobacco Road Sports Radio every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 
at 11 a.m. And of course, we're on all different platforms with podcasts, including iHeartRadio, and we are on all social media uh, outlets under the name Frankly Speaking Sports. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. When you look at the world of sports and you look back on some of the memories we have, whether we're we're adults and it was in our childhood, or if it's just just an event, the event that happened this past Saturday in Charlotte, North Carolina, at Bank of America Stadium was just incredible. It was simply incredible, and there's no other way to describe it. No other way. I think of words all the time that I could use, but, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, the crowd, a record, record crowd of 74,479. That's right. You know, for all of those Major League Baseball investors and Major League Baseball, when you talk about expansion, if you don't look at the Charlotte area after this weekend, something is completely wrong with you. Not that I'm going to sit here and say anything's right with Robert Manfred. You guys know better. But going back to the soccer game, it was an incredible night. And it started off with a great light display. Then the national anthem starts. And they have technical difficulty with the microphone. So what do they do? 74,479 fans in harmony sing the national anthem all together. It was incredible. If it didn't give you chills, I don't know what did. And then the game started. And I'll tell you what, folks, you got to give the Charlotte FC a lot of credit. Lots and lots of credit, folks. It was incredible the way they played against the LA Galaxy. Here is a bunch of young men who just are age 20, 21, maybe 22, playing again against a much more experienced LA Galaxy team and hanging with them. They're hanging with them in the first half, 0-0 at the first half. What can I say about Christian Kalina? I mean, he was awesome in that. He made three or four, maybe even five. He had some incredible saves. Unfortunately, a goal right around the 70-minute mark of the game uh, was kicked in to his left side up high by Efrain Alvarez to be the lone goal in that game. But the way they hung, the way they stuck together, the way they played was magnificent. You would have never known they were an expansion team. Unfortunately, in two games, they have zero goals, but their defense is there, folks. They were all over this LA Galaxy team playing real, real tight. And of course, you know, your best defense sometimes is your best offense. And Kalina was incredible. Jalen Lindsay played an incredible game as a defender. Uh, you know, the 20-year-old who was just amazed at taking it all in, who eight years before would sit there and watch Carolina Panther games in the stadium. It was just an amazing, an amazing scene for not just Charlotte fans, for the entire nation. Fox Sports was here. You know, I had the pleasure of being in the media box as, uh, you know, part of the media. And we were able to have, you know, ask questions to Jalen Lindsay and um, Kristen Kalina after the game. If you'd like to go ahead and see those um, interviews, you can go to Frankly Speaking Sports 
You can go to YouTube, go to any of our channels. You should be able to pick that up. We'll go to the Charlotte FC, and you can see those live post-game press conferences. Next game at the Atlanta United, Sunday, March 13th, 4.30 p.m. This is a 34-game season, folks. 17 at home, 17 on the road. And uh, I'll tell you what, this team, give them a couple of games together. Let that offense get going, and you're going to see an unbelievable change here. Great job by this city. Great job by everyone that belongs to the Charlotte FC from the top to the bottom on putting on just not only a magnificent or amazing day, but one that will be remembered forever in Charlotte, North Carolina. Just unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. As we move on, folks, we're going to talk a little bit. Um, let's see if we can go a little bit um, before we get to the ACC tournament preview. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about NASCAR. It was an unbelievable NASCAR race yesterday um, in Las Vegas. I'm seeing if we have that. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Um, but NASCAR, and it came down to the end, folks. It was an overtime race. Two laps. Is it going to be Alex Bowman? Is it going to be Kyle Lawson? The alley car, Chevrolet won. They went ahead and beat Kyle Lawson in a two-lap overtime shootout at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, you know, great, great job. Great, great race here in Las Vegas. NASCAR is up running and doing real well for all you NASCAR fans out there. The way it ended up, obviously Bowman in first, uh, Lawson in second. Third, we'll round out the top five for you, was Ross Chaston. Fourth was Kyle Busch. And fifth was William Byron. So that's the way it panned out. The next race will be um, Sunday, March 13th, big day around here in Carolina. March 13th, 3.30 p.m. at the Phoenix Raceway. So that game will be at the Phoenix Raceway. Want to remind everybody, if you're just tuning in on several different platforms, Bob Newton, about uh, roughly 15 minutes away, former NFL guard for the Chicago Bears and the Seattle Seahawks, played 10 years in the NFL, and what a story he has to tell and what a story we have to ask. We'll be bringing you that 15 minutes from now. But let's go ahead, take a quick break. And when we come back, folks, we're going to go ahead um, and talk about, uh, here it is, ACC tournament starting tomorrow. It's starting tomorrow. Unbelievable March Madness selection Sunday night. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's the best time of year. Baseball don't know what they're missing. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be back right after this. 
Did you know that tattooing dates back to the Stone Age? Did you know that tattoos were once a symbol of high society? Did you know that Theodore Roosevelt had a tattoo? Did you know that 13 Daggers has been serving the area for nearly a decade? Whether you want bright, vibrant colors or death filled from black and gray, let 13 Daggers create a custom piece of art just for you. Schedule your appointment and come get pricked by the pros. 13 Daggers Tattoo Studio, across from Patriot Park on Fort Campbell Boulevard. Walk-ins, always welcome. 13 Daggers Tattoo Studio. Looking hard on the boulevard. Tobacco Road Sports Radio is so excited to be your home for triad sports. I'm so excited! I'm so excited! We heard you loud and clear. Our mission is to give you what you want. You know what I want. I've been asking for it for years. Give it to me! Give me what I want! The best sports talk in live sports in the triad, period. What's up, everybody? Bob Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Score once again with Brett Wiseman. Hello and welcome back to the Pit Stop here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Welcome back to Franchise Players, your home for Triad Sports coverage. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. And if you think that's great, wait until you see what's next. It's going to be good. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Tune in at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. And don't forget to download the new Roku channel, Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pretty Please Weekend Sports. I'm your host, Larry Franken. My goodness gracious, what a great Monday evening it is tonight on Frankly Speaking Sports. I want to thank everyone who's watching live or via video or on radio at Sportswire Radio or TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Thank you very, very much for tuning in tonight. And I'll tell you what. The season has gone quick. It's March 8th, folks. ACC tournament begins. And we're not going to talk about all the different tournaments. We'll obviously cover March Madness in detail. But the area here that we're most involved in is ACC basketball. And I'm not going to go over every team in this ACC. But I'm going to tell you the three teams that I would watch out for. And I'm going to tell you which of those teams I feel is going to win the ACC tournament, and we'll see if I'm right. Now, the ACC tournament, obviously the favorites to win is the Duke Blue Devils, who are 26-5 and this year with a 16-4 and conference record. Now, this is a great, great, great passing team that Coach K has, it, and it doesn't turn over the ball a lot. So the one thing they have on this team, and you would expect this from a Coach K team, is discipline. It's a very well-disciplined team and a very well-coached team. They rely on three big guys, uh, of course, Bachiro Moore and Williams. But, you know, they can hit three-pointers, but it's not the part of the game they're most comfortable using. They don't rely on it. The guys that do score um, a lot of their points are from inside. But listen to some of these folks. Um, you know, you know they can shoot from the outside, but if this game is forced to an outside game and Duke has to shoot more from the outside than using its three big men, they will lose. They will lose. And I don't have them going all the way 
in this tournament. But we'll get into that in a minute. Um, number one, they are not a good free-throwing team. And good teams that have bad free-throw shooting do not win in tournaments. It just doesn't happen. You have to make your free throws in key situations if you're going to win. These aren't going to be blowout games, folks. These are going to be tight, close games. Tight, close games. Um, Duke is ninth in points scored this year, averaging 80.4 points a game. They're ninth in the nation in field goal percentage, 48.9. So they can shoot the basketball. And they're third in three-pointers. But they, the guys that are shooting the three-pointers aren't guys to, that score a lot of points. So that number can be a little deceiving at 37.7% a game. Paola Bacchiro is the big dog. 17.1 points, 7.7 rebounds, 3.1 assists a game. Then you got the guy that I really like on this team, folks, um, is, and I think it's a key for them, is Wendell Moore. Wendell Moore is probably to me, and this is just me saying this, folks, nothing against Banchero, nothing against Mark Williams, but he's probably the best all-around big guy on that team. He averages 13.1 points a game. He hits 50.9% of his field goals, 41.4% um, three-pointers, 5.5 rebounds a game, 4.6 assists. He is going to be a main factor in this tournament if Duke plans on winning the tournament. Then you got Mark Williams, 11 points a game, 71% field goal. When he shoots the ball, he's going to score 7 out of 10 shots every single time. 7.1 rebounds a game and 2.8 blocks. This is a Duke team, like I said. They're good. They're well-balanced, but there's, sometimes they go in these lapses and you wonder where their game went. This is also a tournament where there are teams that are playing in this that have beaten Duke this year. So they are confident, especially North Carolina, who just walloped them this past weekend. So my prediction here is Duke does not win the ACC tournament. One of the teams, I'm going to go over three teams with you. First of all, Miami has no chance, okay, folks? Miami has no chance, in my opinion, of winning. They got no defense, folks. That team will not win. Now, Wake Forest could be a surprise at 23-8, and 13-7 and seven overall. I'm sorry, 13-7 and seven in the ACC. The key is going to be they have to control their turnovers. This is a team that really plays well in actually all facets of the game except holding on to the basketball. They create the opposition and allow them to score several points on unnecessary turnovers. If they, in this tournament, can keep the turnovers down to a minimum, they will be a very, very tough team. Um, like I said, they play a decent defense but that 236th in the NCAA basketball, men's basketball, with turnovers. So not a very respectable turnover margin. Now, they average 79.5 points a game, which is 18th in the uh, NCAA, and 48.9% field 
field goals, which is ninth. They're led by, of course, Alondis Williams, 19.3 points a game, 51.8 field goal percentage, 6.6 rebounds, and five assists. Let's not forget Jake Laravia, 14.9 points, 56.2 field goals, 78.4 free throws, 6.6 rebounds, 3.7 assists. And then, you know, the one guy for Wake Forest, I gave you a guy on each team that's going to be key so far, is going to be uh, Davion Williams. Davion Williams, 12.6 points a game, 41.8% three-pointers, and he's a great through shoot, uh, shooter, just shy of 90% out of 89%. But, you know, he shoots well from the outside, but I think if Davian can master driving to the basket a little more and creating some fouls with his ability to make 9 out of 10 free throws, every 9 out of 10 free throws, it would be a big plus for Wake Forest. And he could be that catalyst to helping them win and possibly sneaking up and being a Cinderella in this ACC tournament. Boy, wouldn't the Deacon fans love that. First, it's football. Now it could be basketball. Unbelievable. And then, last but not least, the team that I pick to win the ACC tournament, folks, is the North Carolina Tar Heels. They're 23-8 overall, 15-5 in the conference. This is a team that rebounds well. They play good defense. They rebound the ball well on both sides. And they block about four shots a game, which is very, very important. Now, if you look at the consistency in their numbers, a well-balanced team, they're 17th in the nation in rebounding, 28th in scoring at 78 points per game, 29th in three-point shooting at 37.4%, and 20th in free throws, 77%. This team will win because of its ability to hit free throws. You know, everybody knows about Armando Bacotti. He's been playing well, 16.6 points a game, 59.5 field goal percentage, 12.5 rebounds. But everybody says, what's been the difference the last couple of games or the last five games for Armando? He seems like he's stepping up. Well, in his last 10 games, he increased his free throws from – Mid-60s to mid-70s, he's shooting 75% free throws in his last 10 games. But the key to this game, folks, and before I get to the key, I love Brady Manick. I want to say that before I get into the next guy. Brady Manick is playing like a, a beast out of control. Well, in control, I should say. What a great, great asset he's been to this team the entire year. Brady's doing a great job averaging 14.4 points a game, 5.8 rebounds. They're going to need his help off the boards. But this game is going to come down to the man who has been playing so, so well the last seven games. And it's great to see it in Caleb Love, the guard. 15.7 points a game, 87.5% at the free throw lines, 3.4 rebounds. 3.7 assists, and one and a quarter steals a game averaging. But listen to this, folks. I want everyone to hear what I am saying. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. 
How important are free throws? How important is Caleb Love, who has the ability to shoot the ball well, but he hits free throws? Listen to this. His last, he has not missed a free throw in his last 33 attempts. 33 attempts, zero misses. Don't tell me you can't hit free throws in the NCAA. That's baloney. It's crap. You can. He's hit 37 of his last 38 free throws. Let's, let's get one better and tell you how good this guy is really becoming. He's hit his last 47 out of 50 free throws. That is incredible. And when you're talking about tournaments, folks, and I know every I, I preach this over and over and over again, Eubank Davis' team is coming around. Now, of course, I was a big Knicks fan growing up, so I love Hubert. But at the end of the day, he's realizing the things that win, win basketball games. Yes, you need to score, but darn it, you got to be able to play offense and take advantage, I'm sorry, defense, and take advantage of what the opposition gives you. And they're starting to learn that, these players, Caleb Love, um, Balcott, Manic, they're all learning that, and it's working. Then they go ahead, they get fouled. Now they're hitting their free throws. Look at Caleb Love. You want that man going to the free throw line as many times as you can in a game besides what he does otherwise. I mean, the guys that what I say he's averaging right now, um, you know, he's averaging what? Uh, 15.7 points a game. Incredible. Incredible. He gets rebounds. He passes the ball. He shoots the ball. He scores. He plays defense. That's what you need. Ladies and gentlemen, my pick to win the ACC tournament is none other than the North Carolina Tar Heels. We'll be back right after this message. Thirteen Daggers Tattoo Studio is looking for a new tattoo artist. Must be established with a strong portfolio and good work ethic. Stop by today at Thirteen Daggers across from Patriot Park on Fort Campbell Boulevard. Clarksville's ultimate tattoo studio. Tattoos, touch-ups, and consultations. See the artist's work online at 13daggerstattoo.com and get the custom experience you want with Killer Ink. Book today and get pricked by a pro. Thirteen Daggers Tattoo Studio. Looking hard on the boulevard. Here at Tobacco Road Sports Radio, we ask the tough questions. Hey, you got any left-handed footballs? We're never afraid to tell you how we feel. Oh, we look like the damn bad news bears. We'll debate sports. We'll debate anything. Man, you lying. You ain't never met Martin Luther King. Not the winner, but yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he did not. No matter what, Tobacco Road Sports Radio has you covered. I'm going to come right back at him. Soldier. You're listening to Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. 
We're minutes away from having Bob Newton on with us, former NFL guard from 1971 to 1981. Hopefully, he'll be with us in one moment here. I'm going to give him a quick shout to uh, make sure everything is okay on his end. I know he's trying to get on, he said, right now. So let's go ahead and check with him real quickly here. Let me see if he's on his way, folks. I think he is. So he should be with us, you say, in any second. So let's go ahead and find out. Um, you know, hopefully he will be. But, you know, tournament starts up tomorrow, folks. It's going to be exciting. A lot going on this week in the world of sports. You know, I know a lot of people talking about baseball, how sorry they are. And I'm going to be honest. I'm sorry, too, that it's not here. But at the end of the day, um, so um, let me find out. He's saying it says I have the wrong browser. Uh, just let me just tell him. Just should take you right in. All right. Has the wrong browser. right in uh so we'll see if he's coming he's having technical guilt difficulties come in and use so he's just trying to get in he's trying to get hooked in right now uh so folks it'll be a couple minutes till he gets on at uh, this time it gives us a quick opportunity to thank all of our first of all, one thing 13 daggers tattoo out of Clarksville, Tennessee, for being a sponsor of ours. Uh, if you folks, anyone who has expertise who is a professional tattoo artist looking for work in Clarksville, Tennessee, not far from Nashville, Tennessee, at the Fort Campbell Army Post, I'll tell you what, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Call 13 daggers tattoo. In Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, we also want to thank all our platforms. Uh, Tobacco Road, SportsRadio.com. Unbelievable shows, folks. Continually by the great, great people over there that put on uh, live basketball. Uh, great, great shows. Uh, the Rundown, just to name one of them. Great, great job over there. Number two, we'd like to thank... Um, Everybody on YouTube, Twitter Live. Uh, we are now on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, all social media. We are all over the place. So um, we are definitely, definitely uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, keeping all those people happy. And thank you so much for watching our shows. I apologize. Um, I'm looking at my phone to make sure that um, to see if uh, Bob is still having problems connecting. So um, let me go ahead and ask him again just to make sure. Um, sometimes this happens, folks. Like I said, we've said this on many of our shows. Technology, especially on the other end when you're not there, where the person's coming on, it's sometimes a little bit 
confusing to go ahead and uh, find them. Um, find them. So let me find out what's going here, and we'll definitely get back because uh, we have a. I'll tell you what, this is a terrific, terrific uh, interview. So we want to make sure we get him on here, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, he'll get on here in a moment. So. So I know he's trying his browser, so let me check with him. Let me go, Bob, are you your way? You can use your phone to log in. All right, let's find out if that if that works for him as he's trying to get in. If not, we might have to use the phone, folks. We might have to use the phone. So we'll see what happens uh, as I try to type in. Use the phone. So he's going to try on his phone. If not, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. So let's see if this works for him, if he can get in, and we'll take it from there. Now, there's going to be other tournaments uh, coming on as well, folks, the next couple of days. So, you know, this is the best time of college basketball. College basketball is at its best. The tournament time, and then, of course, March Madness, you get to see on Sunday which Cinderella teams are going to make it which ones are not going to make it. So, um, okay, he's, we're going to use the phone, okay? What's your number? He's going to give me his phone number, folks, and we're just going to go ahead and do it this way. All right. No problem, but the good news is we have it. Let's go ahead and bring up a couple of... Uh, there we go. He's, we're going to call him right now, folks, and we are about to have a live um, through the 13 Tagged Tattoo phone hotline, I guess we'll use tonight. All right. Let me go ahead and get everything set for the phone here so that all you folks can hear him. All right. Let's go ahead and give him a call. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Frankly Speaking Sports, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we want to go ahead and now uh, introduce to you on the Frankly Speaking Sports 13 Dagger Tattoo Hotline, um, we now have former NFL player for the Chicago Bears, Seattle Seahawks, played from 1971 to 1981. Let's welcome in Bob Newton. Bob, how you doing tonight? Oh, very well. It's great to be on your show. And it's great to have you, Bob. I got to ask you the first question is, you know, in your career, 
you started out in your career and you blocked probably what, you know, with the Chicago Bears, probably for the two of the best running backs that ever played in the history of the NFL. Talk about what it was like blocking for Gail Sayers and Walter Payton. I kind of consider it a, a tragedy because, you know, Gail was uh, in 1971, which was my rookie year with the Chicago Bears. Gail was uh, coming back, trying to come back from a severe knee injury from the year before the year. It was either in 68 or 69. He had this severe knee surgery. And it was, uh, you could tell during training camp and so forth that he was really struggling. And then, uh, he retired early in that season uh, in 1971. I, I remember one of his last runs, he was trying to run a sweep, and he was, he was looking pretty bad. And I think that was his last game, and that was early in the 71 season. So I didn't really have a, a long experience with Gil, but I, I went through that training camp with him, and I, I just found him to be a spectacular, spectacular human being. And, uh, a really nice guy and a hard worker and, a, and just a tremendous talent. I mean, uh, they said that he would have just, if he would have kept, you know, he, he scored six touchdowns in one, in one game. And uh, they said he could cut on a dime. You know, when he was healthy, he didn't have the knee issues. So now, now Walter, you know, I'll never forget Walter Payton when he got drafted in 74. <clears throat> The Chicago Tribune, or one of the, the big Chicago newspapers, uh, the very next day after he was drafted, he was the fourth pick in the first round. And we had just got Jim Finks and Jack Pardee as, our, as, as the new leadership of the Bears at that point. And they they drafted, he was the first player, uh, or fourth player picked in the first round. And the big headlines in the Tribune the next day was a huge, bold lettering. Walter who? And they were, they were, you know, they were crushing. Why did we draft this guy? He was from Jackson State. He didn't have a real big name. Well, I think he proved his point. Uh, he was another guy, just a, just a huge, uh, worked, worked extremely hard, you know, in practice. And his, his uh, off-field training was, was, you know, just exceptional. He always came in shape. Now, I, so I only played with Walter his first year, which was his, his rookie year in 1975. Actually, it was 1975, which was his rookie year. He got hurt a little bit that year, but that's the only year he was hurt. And then uh, after that, I moved on to the Seahawks. But, of course, I followed his, uh, his career, and he was just a tremendous Tremendous ball carrier. When did you realize first that Walter Payton was going to be as great as he was? And, you know, you said you it was your last year playing with the Bears. And then your first year playing with the Seahawks, you played with another guy named Steve Largent. On both those guys, when did you realize the talent of both of them? practicing and I was altering, alternating in and out with uh, another guard you know we were uh, going through, going through our plays and our repetitions and I and I remember uh, I'll never forget this they, they handed the ball to Walter and he busted through the a gap between the center 
in the right guard. And I could not believe his acceleration, how fast he got upfield. And he ran very vertical. See, the thing about Walter, he could he could outrun you if he, if he had to, but he could also, he was a power runner too. He's very, very, very powerful. And, uh, but he, I couldn't believe his explosion, how fast he gained like 10 yards on that play. And I never forgot it. And I said, that guy, and now this was his rookie year. And I said, that guy is going to be good. There's no doubt about it. So I, I never forgot that, that experience. And, and Steve, <clears throat> you know, Steve, uh, Steve was a fourth round draft pick for the Houston Oilers initially. And, uh, Bum Phillips let him go at the end of training camp. Bum later said that it was the worst personnel decision he ever made, but uh, we had a, our offensive coordinator was Jerry Rome. And Jerry Rome was a was a Steve's coach in college. He was the, the offensive coordinator at Tulsa University, where Steve came out of. And uh, and so I think Jerry went to the staff, the Seahawks administration, said we got to get this guy. Let's pick him up, and they picked him up off waivers. Uh, the 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 owners have put him on waivers, so. He came to our team, and you know we're an expansion team. Nobody, nobody. We have very little team continuity because everybody's so new. And uh, I, you know, it's just everybody. You know, we had our, we had our names on our on our helmets, you know, so people could remember who we were. I mean, it was just you know starting a franchise from the bottom up is is pretty challenging. But he, uh, you know. Uh, him and Jimmy Zorn, who was our first quarterback right. in Seattle, when we opened up against, uh, you, you know, I didn't, I didn't pay that much attention to Steve when he came in uh, initially, but when we played this, we played our first game in, uh, of the 1976 season, which was our expansion year. Uh, Zorn and Largent started clicking, and they, we. You know, I've been with the Bears, and our offense was kind of sputtering most of the time. And this, this, I couldn't believe how we could, you know, get downfield and, and we were running the ball, but we was, Jimmy was throwing the ball very well too. A lot of those passes was to Largent. So that was the first time that I said, "Wow, this this quarterback and this receiver, uh, you know, could, might have something going." And so. I think that year, 1976, we won three or three or I think we won three and uh, 12 or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but right. we only won three games. And that's pretty typical for an expansion team, but we can move the ball. Our offense, our offense was uh, pretty powerful. And then I think in 77, Steve, or maybe it might have been 78. In 78, we went nine and seven. And we were the fastest winning expansion team in the history of the NFL. That's at that right. Time. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Steve and Zorn just got better and better each year. And I think Steve, Steve did make all pro and went to the Pro Bowl in 78. But one thing I had, Steve was another really hard worker in practice. You know, he'd go out early and work on his routes and, but he was also a, 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 an excellent downfield blocker. I mean, he. I mean, he had. He was fearless. 
and throwing his body into big linemen to, to block him. So when you think of really about a, a, an all-around football player, you know, Steve Largent was that, but he was a spectacular pass catcher. You know, he, I, he was so precise in his routes, you know, that because he, I don't think he had blazing speed. He was very quick, right? very smart. He was very quick and very smart. Uh, but, you know, he used to turn cornerbacks on their heels, man. Safe. It was it was a, it was nice to watch, but uh, you know it was just, it was a pleasure to play with all those guys that you mentioned. Uh, you know they're all they're all in the Hall of Fame yep. now, and, mm-hmm. and so. Let me ask you this, Bob. Um, you know, a lot of people out there, especially in the era that you played in, because I don't care what anyone says, it may have been football, but it's a different game back then than it is today. Talk about what it was like to be an offensive lineman, a guard in the NFL, and how tough of it especially was it in your era? Well, you know, the, so I came in 71. I started I started for the Bears. I, I began the starting lineup my, my second year in 72. And, I, you know, back then the head slap was still yep. uh, legal. And, you know, that was where the defensive linemen at that time, the, the defensive linemen always had the advantage on the offensive linemen because the offensive linemen had to keep their hands in and their elbows out, basically, and they and they kind of they couldn't punch into the defensive linemen. So, you know, these defensive linemen could pull our elbows, you know, pull our shoulder down, and then they had a straight corner to the quarterback for a sack. So. The advantages were was really towards uh, the defense alignment, and but the rule changes were, you know, they changed that the, the hand rule. I think it was in '74 where we started learning how to punch, and it really <laughs> gave it because they wanted to score more points. The NFL wanted to score more points, and they were willing to to make these rule changes to help offense alignment pass protect. Pass protection is one of the most difficult. Uh, athletic challenges that a, a person can experience because you know it's third and eight. You know that defensive lineman knows he's not gonna he's not you know, he's not gonna sit back. He's coming, man. He's got his ears back, and we can only do so much. You know they said we got to keep that guy off the quarterback for at least three seconds, and three seconds go by by pretty pretty fast. But if you if you're playing great players. You know, in that era, you had Burrow Nelson, Curly Culp, Joe Green, uh, Lyle Alzado, John Matuzak, Louis Kelcher, some great, some great defensive uh, linemen in that era. So, but they, you know, changing that rule did help. And, you know, we were still early on, we were still running the uh, Green Bay sweep, Lombardi's play that won so many, won so many games for the uh, Lombardi, the Green Bay Packers. Both guards pulling, and you got the fullback kicking out on the end, and then the uh, halfback following the two guards around. Love that play because I, I love to run, and we ran that 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 play pretty well. But it was it was pretty. You know the rules have changed a lot, and uh, but the trenches are always a very interesting. They're just an interesting experience. It's you know, it's, it's, it's a battle every play, you know, 60, 70 plays a game. You're battling every play of 
trying to do your job. Well, let me ask you this. And, you know, it's an amazing story and a one about uh, accomplishment and dealing with adversity and overcoming it. And, you know, I know you had a substance abuse and you talk about it and you help people nowadays, but I wanted to talk a little bit about it because it's just an amazing how far you have come from the early days. Talk talk about when it first began. I know you talk about high school where you started and then Nebraska. When did it begin to uh, get to the point where you thought you might have had an issue? You know, that's, a, that's an excellent question. I think anyone that has an alcohol drug problem is, is, is challenged with that question because one of the uh, one of the most one of the difficulties of helping people that that need help with an alcohol drug problem is most of us, including me, I was in denial about my problem. And uh, you know, nobody's going to tell me I can't drink beer. Nobody's, you know. Uh, nobody's going to tell me I can't party. I'm a grown man. I'm over 21, blah, blah, blah. And I had this, you know, I had this denial system in place where and a few people tried to help me along the way, but I was stubborn and, uh, and it just, you know, went in one ear and out the other. Let me ask you, impossible. go ahead, Bob. Go ahead, Frank. Go ahead. I was going to ask you how much did this substance abuse when you were in the NFL, in your opinion, was due to the demand of the football game on your body? And what did the use do for you basically physically and mentally when you did take uh, drugs and drink alcohol? Yeah. Well, you know, as I got older and I, and I share this, you know, when I was in my early twenties, it probably had minimal, implications on my playing performance but as i got older you know when i got into my eighth ninth and tenth year in the league it, it started taking a more of a toll a toll on me and uh because i you know in the off seasons you know i could work out hard when i was in my 20s uh, with hangovers and and all that and i got i got introduced to cocaine in uh the early 70s and you know, they introduced it to me that it was a social drug. I didn't hear anything about addiction. I didn't hear anything about, you know, consequences about it. And that's how it was. And I said, well, you know, I like to be social. Give me some. And, uh, and, and that, that was, that's another drug that I added along with my alcohol and pot. And so it just took its toll every year. It progressed. That's, that's, there's some addiction comes in stages. There's an early stage, there's a middle stage, and there's a later stage. And there's signs and symptoms in each of those stages. And uh, I was I went through those stages. I would I would say when I was in the NFL, I was in the middle stage of, of an addiction problem. And but I you know I I try to control it to the best that I you know, I didn't drink before the games, and I did I tried not to drink heavily. The night before the game, but when I went to Seattle towards the end of my career in Seattle, that that boundary started getting crossed. You know, I started drinking right. sometimes heavily before the game, so it just it just took its toll. It's a progressive uh, pathology with chemicals, and uh, you know, so pain 
I, you know, I lost my career basically uh, because of my use. But even more, more than that, that, that I had to deal with is that, you know, I never played, you know, I had a couple really good years in the NFL, but I never played up to my potential consistently. And uh, I give credit to the substance use to that. Bob, Bob, did you ever take any of the drugs like amphetamines to more so help you with the everyday uh, physicality of the game, like the burden of the game on your body to maybe decrease pain that you were going through? You know, the way they, you know, they, I don't, I don't remember opiates being around when I played. Right. Uh, you know, on the planes, if we were beat up pretty bad and we got, and we had, you know, some significant bruises or whatever, but we were in pain, they gave us holding, holding pills back in those days. Right. That's what I experienced. But the amphetamines, uh, I think the amphetamines were, you know, when I came into the league, I, I think there was some prevalency with, with, uh, amphetamines and then for a year or two, and then I got exposed to them and I took them, uh, I think, well, seven, uh, I think at 72, I took them a few times and, and 71, not every game, but you know, they, they, you know, they really fire you up and you just want to hit people, you know, I mean, that's, that's all you you know, and you can, you can ask the other people. They really, you just get really, you really want to get physical and hit people on that stuff. Right. But, so after the after these games, I go, man, I I, I feel really good. I knocked the crap on a lot of people today, <laughs> man. I can't I can't wait to see the films. So we go to the we see the we go to the film room the next day, and my line coach would be saying, he goes, you know, Newton, that's a hell of a that's a hell of a hit you put on that guy. It's the wrong guy, though, you know. <laughs> so you can't. I couldn't think too well on him. I made a lot of mental mistakes. I hit people, but sometimes it was the wrong person, right? You know? Right. You did, it affected your thinking process. Now we are um, talking to Bob Newton, former NFL guard who played for the Chicago Bears and the Seattle Seahawks from 1970 to 1981. Bob, how tough was it? for you uh, to make the decision after your career to say, okay, this is enough. I need to go to rehab and I need to get my life together. Was it, a, I mean, obviously it's always a tough decision to admit something like that, but how tough was it for you to go ahead and do that? Well, it was very tough. And because like I said, I was a very stubborn guy. I had a big ego and, you know, I can handle this on my own. And so, what happens when people start developing these these issues? You, you start experiencing some pain, you know, like I was having relationship pains with, you know, like I divorced. Uh, it, so and that was because of my drinking, you know. And she didn't want she didn't want me to drink. She goes, your personality changes when you drink, and which was a symptom. But uh, it, you know, it takes what it takes. I had some DUIs. I got some DUIs, and I'm so grateful I didn't hurt somebody when I was driving my car intoxicated because I, I drove my car a lot intoxicated, and I'm so grateful that I didn't hurt somebody. It was a miracle. But, uh, you know, somebody asked me, how many DUIs do you have? And I said, I think I got two or three now. They go, oh, man, you're, you're really a bad guy. God, I can't believe it. I said, you know what? I should have 300. I should have four. How many times did I get home? I didn't get caught. Right. 
Now, let me ask you this, Bob. You took a bad situation, and now you're trying to help others. What was it that motivated you to become a speaker of your issues and to go ahead and become a counselor and help other people through your story? You know, I had a lot of passion for football. And I, when I was in that treatment center in 1983 at age 33, feeling lost and everything, and I was learning so much every day from the treatment center. It was a treatment center in Monroe, Washington called Valley General. And they, I was just learning. So I, I realized how ignorant I was about alcoholism, how ignorant I was about drug addiction. And I, got, I developed a passion in there and an interest to help others because I know our societies battles with this ignorance about you know what addiction is and how do you how can you get help and you know what's the science etc. So it kind of just came naturally and you know Coach Osborne from Nebraska when I got out of rehab he said Bob come back here go to school get your bachelor's degree we'll put you in because I was almost it's finding I was I. I Financially, I was hurt. This is after 11 years. I mean, I mismanaged my finances and everything was a mess. But Coach Osborne said, back here, we'll let you be a GA, graduate assistant coach, and get your, your degree. And that's what I did. I went back here and I spent two and a half years working on that degree. I finally got it. But I give Coach Osborne, he, he gave me a lot of hope in coming out of treatment that I, you know, gave me some direction. So I never forgot that. What is it about you that makes individuals either stay away from substance abuse or for those who are facing it to go ahead and seek help for it? Well, you know, it I always say it takes what it takes. I think some, you know, most people do not come in, Frank, to treatment like they don't wake up in Huntington Beach, California, and say, you know, what a beautiful day. I'm going to go check into the Betty Ford Center today. Right. You know, they, people come into treatment through usually external pressure, you know, medical pressure, employment pressure, uh, relationship pressure. Somebody's saying, look, you got to go get help. And because a lot of times we don't know how bad we're getting. People can see it, but we don't see it, you know. And we need those people in our lives to help us. And, you know, that's why family interventions, you see those on TV and everything, but they're very, very effective. They get people into treatment. And I always tell patients, you know, I, I don't care how you come into treatment. I care how you leave treatment. Right. You know, you know you're pushed in here, but, you know, I, my hope is that once you start getting some clarity that some of the stuff that you know, we're going to be teaching you will make sense. Bob, how satisfying is it for you to, um, you know, talk to someone and make a huge difference in someone's life or even possibly save someone's life because of what you do currently by counseling them and teaching them all about the effects of this? Yeah, it's, it's very gratifying. That's one of the reasons people say in it. It's, uh, you know, it, when you see, you know, I've seen families come in just in a mess. You know, the, the spouses aren't talking to each other. The children are really angry. And, uh, you know, in two or three weeks after working with the client, we get have their family come in for the family program. We see them, you know, touching, holding hands and taking a walk around. 
it's it's amazing. So I've seen a lot of great outcomes, Frank. But I've seen a lot of bad outcomes too, and it's just you know it's a it's serious it's serious work. But I think most counselors get that same gratification when they see the miracle happen. We call it a miracle, right? When, when you when you when you take somebody that's addicted to alcohol or some other drugs, and then and through, you know, a lot of times I would take pictures of the client when they came in, and they looked so beat up, man. And then take a picture of them 30 days later, and it only looked like the same person. And uh, I, I would always tell them, keep this picture. You got to remember where you came from. And if you go back, you're going to go right back to that picture and get sick again. So, but that the gratification of seeing people get well, and you know, it's not me. I plant seeds, you know, and I do. I like. I'm kind of like a coach. I, I, you know, I give up some skills and some techniques and some education that works, you know, and then they, it's up to them to, to, you know, go out there and do it. Bob, what do you think about at the NFL and you hear a couple of years that you hear about, then you don't hear about it, but what do you think about the NFL um, allowing uh, the use of marijuana to players that they're talking about allowing it. Yeah, I tell you, I knew when this, when this, uh, when these marijuana laws started coming out, uh, uh, I don't know what, ten years ago, you know, that they started legalizing it, making it a medication, and all that. I, I, I my experience is I've seen a lot of people get very, very addictive and very sick on, on addiction to marijuana. You know, the marijuana, the THC in marijuana today is so much more powerful than it was when I was using it in the 70s. And, you know, and, you know, I used to work with a lot of adolescents and we would have these 13, 14, 15 year old adolescents coming into treatment fully addicted to marijuana. Marijuana is a very addictive psychological drug. And, um, you know, I'm not a medical doctor. If this, I know they got the CBD oils now and all that. And I, you know, they're they're saying it's, it's very helpful, and some people have told me it's been helpful for this. So I'm not a medical person that I can, you know. But I, until the FDA, you know, I like to see it get approved, and then, uh, you know, I can trust the process a little more. The THC is the is the is the chemical that causes the person to get high and, and it's a psychoactive substance. And, you know, TH, THC and marijuana is a, is a fatty substance. So a lot of that, a lot of that chemical goes to our brain, our fatty tissues in our brain. And so that's where you see people start, especially younger people in school. You can see kids that came from junior high school coming into high school, really, really good students. Uh, and and then by their senior year, they're flocking out, or even earlier, by their junior year, they're flocking out. They start smoking some marijuana the second semester of their freshman year, sophomore year. It just used to be once a week thing that it became every day. They became psychologically addicted to pot, and they became dependent on it. And so... I've seen a lot of miracles that those even those young kids get clean and sober and get, go back to school and get their education and stay clean. But it's a it's a societal uh, uh, issue for sure, Frank. And uh, I just hope we can 
I just try to educate people. And, and you know, people, it, 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 I never did an assessment on a heroin addict or a cocaine addict. They didn't start smoking marijuana first, to tell you the truth. Right. You know, it, you know there is that, that part, although it's a gateway drug. Well, I, you know, I don't know if that term's appropriate all the time, but it's a drug that people start out on a lot. And that was my question I was going to ask you following up on our last question was that by them, if they do institute this and allow players to go ahead and use marijuana, aren't they opening up a big uh, can of whoop ass as far as all these other drugs that these players might get involved in? Well, you know, I think there's a high risk that absolutely and uh you know how they're going to monitor that it's going to be challenging uh but uh you know at that level you know the opiate addiction is still very very uh you know it's still an, ep an epidemic yes in our society mm -hmm. so you know i just i just i never thought when i was getting clean and sober in my 30s that i'd be you know, in my seventies now, and you know, mar marijuana's legal, and they're doing. You know, I just, I did, I never foresaw that. You know, uh, but I, I think the NFL does a better job of helping people with substance abuse disorders now. Uh, they've come a long ways in a lot of aspects of that. I'm sure they got to keep going and, and keep, you know, keeping that door open to help players, uh, but. All I know about marijuana, it's very, it's, it's a high risk drug and it's uh, easily to develop. And when we talk about psychological addictions, you know, marijuana, uh, nicotine is a psychological addiction to a certain degree. You know, people smoke cigarettes uh, after dinner, you know, when they get up in the morning, uh, before they, you know, go to work. And it, that psychological routine is the same thing with pot. You know, I can't listen to music unless I'm loaded. I don't want to go to the theater unless I'm stoned. So that's how that all kicks up. And those, and then another thing, when those young kids are smoking that stuff, you know, their brains are still being developed. I mean, they're, you know, they haven't matured physically or psychologically. And they, they start smoking that stuff and it's so potent that it really impairs their development. And, uh, so that's another that's another serious issue that happens when a young person starts smoking that stuff regularly. Yeah. Well, listen, Bob, you know, I know you played with a lot of Hall of Famers, and I can honestly tell you by talking to you that in a lot of people's eyes that you help every day, you are their Hall of Famer. And we want to thank you very, very much. And we want to thank you. You're welcome. And I want to thank you very, very much for taking your time out of your schedule to be on Frankly Speaking Sports tonight. All right, buddy. I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Stay safe, Bob. Okay. okay. Thank you, Frank. Okay. All right. All right. That was Bob Newton, former NFL guard, uh, who played for the Chicago Bears and the Seattle Seahawks from 1971 to 1981. What a great, 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 great interview. Amazing, amazing, amazing interview. 
uh, with Bob. Um, you know, we want to thank you all very much. We ran over a little bit tonight. Uh, I want to thank everybody so very, very much for tuning in tonight. And we will be back again tomorrow on another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. Good night. Good night.